following message was given by Raymond Goodlett on Sunday, July 7th at Redemption Hill Church. For more information about the church, visit us online at www.redemptionhill.com. Open your Bibles, if you would, to Psalm chapter 19, and we will get the sauna edition of our summer psalm series here. How fitting this morning we're going to be talking a little bit about the stars and one of those stars, our sun, of course, and yeah, you know how hot that is. Well, it seems like it's moved a little closer this morning. <laughs> we'll pray and we will get started. Psalm chapter 19. I'm actually just going to borrow the end of this psalm and use it for our prayer this morning as we open the word together. Father, we do thank you for bringing us here safely this morning, and we ask now, Lord, that you would allow the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart to be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Help me to be faithful to you and to your word and helpful to those who have gathered here this morning. In Jesus' name, and everybody said? Amen. Amen. Psalm chapter 19, starting in verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice, or in your margins you'll see this if, a, if you have a note, their measuring line goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them, he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber. And like a strong man, runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. Everybody say amen. Amen. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous all together. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults, Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. And again, Lord, we ask that you would let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. The psalmist leads us to look in three directions this morning. First of all, he, he, he points us to look at the sky. 
verses 1 through 6. And then in verses 7 through 11, he, he turns our attention to the Scriptures. And then finally, in verses 12 through 14, he has us look at our own souls. And as we look at the sky, as we look at the Scriptures, and as we look at our own souls this morning, God wants to put what I'll call an ache in our hearts. A-C-H-E. It's an acronym. And as we go, I'll hopefully quickly tell you what that stands for this morning. Starting back in verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. The A in the ache that we're talking about this morning that God wants to produce in us as we look at what he has created in the skies and what he has breathed out and inspired in the scriptures, the ache begins with that letter A, and that A is for all. All. In fact, in another place here in the Psalms, and I don't know if we'll get to it in our series, but I'll mention it here in Psalm 33, verses 6 through 9. The Bible says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, listen to this, all their starry hosts. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in, everybody, awe of him. Now, when these things were written, in particular Psalm 19, this was some 3,000 years ago that David wrote this psalm. He had... No idea in his natural self and in his education, no idea how magnificent the skies really were. He had no idea when he wrote that the skies proclaim the glory and the handiwork of God. He knew enough about that to write that and certainly was inspired, but he could not appreciate that the way, this, the, the way that you and I can today. And so I'm going to very quickly tell you a little bit about some of the stuff in the sky. Now, you may not think about the earth as being in the heavens, but it is. We sit out there in outer space just like any other thing floating out there. I shouldn't say floating because the Bible tells us God has fixed these things right where they are. But the earth, we're going to talk about the moon, we're going to talk about the star that we call the sun, and if I get to it, maybe one other star. Now, in terms of how big these things are and how far apart they are from each other, do you know how many moons could fit inside an earth if the earth were hollow? About 50. So let's say it was your job, if it was your job to fill the earth, or rather fill the earth, yes, with moons, if the earth were hollow, if that were your job and you could put one moon inside the earth every single minute, you would be finished in 50 minutes. Less than an hour, you would be able live to catch the rest of the United States Women's World Cup game as they are en route, no doubt, to capturing their second consecutive World Cup championship. You would be able to catch it. Now, let's look the other way. What if the sun were hollow and you were trying to fill the sun with Earths? You have any idea how many of those Earths it would take? Yes, that's right. 1,287,000 Earths could fit inside the sun. That is how much bigger the sun is than the Earth. And the sun is just one star 
in a galaxy of hundreds of billions of stars we call the Milky Way. It's not even anywhere close to the biggest star there is. God made all these things. We have now found a star that we call V.Y. Canis Majoris. It is one billion times the size of our sun. By the breath of his mouth, the Lord made all these things. He commanded it and it stood fast. He spoke it into being. You and I are sweating bullets in this gym this morning because of one star that is one billionth the size of the largest star that we've seen and that star that is making us sweat bullets is 93 million miles away from us. I think. It feels a little closer this morning, Pastor Tim. <laughs> but last check, 93 million miles away. At its core, it is 27 million degrees Fahrenheit hot. And it is so big, even though it's so small compared to V.Y. Canis Majoris, the sun that we are sweating because of right now is so big that even though it's 27 million degrees at its core, it's only 10,000 degrees at its surface. And it is making you sweat and, and desperately search for fans that we did not provide for you. Or we did, actually, the, the bulletin. There you go. Now, what I am saying is that we are supposed to come to a conclusion when we observe all this. Moses warns the Israelites in Deuteronomy 4.19, don't worship these things when you see them. You'll, you'll be tempted to do that. But don't do that. What we should do is be brought to awe of the one who could do all of this. Who has the power to create all this? Who, who has the wisdom to know that if I am going to support life for my image bearers on this planet Earth, if I, I have to make the Earth in such a way and I have to put its source of heat 93 million miles away. It has to be just perfectly big enough for its core to be 27 million degrees Fahrenheit and its surface 10,000 degrees Fahrenheit. I need to put it 93 million miles away and furthermore, if I want to really heat that thing up just right, you know like when you're making s'mores and, and you, you, you put the, the marshmallow and you rotate it, God knows that I have to tilt that, that marshmallow or that, that planet. I've got to tilt that thing at just between 23 and 24 degrees and I have to rotate it just at the right pace, what you and I call a day, every 24 hours it's going to make a full revolution on that axis and it's got to go around that star at just the right pace in what you and I call a year. I, God figured all that out. He figured out this gravitational force that has to exist in order to make us go around the sun and not just fly off somewhere. He figured all that out. What kind of wisdom are we talking about? And, 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 and oh man, I'm going to offend some of you here. I'm so sorry, but I have to do it. This is why, even though I believe that God has called us as his image bearers to stewardship and to taking care of the earth, I, I believe wholeheartedly in that, and I want to be as responsible in that as I can be as a steward of what God has made. First of our own lives and then of this environment. And I want to, if possible, I want to help hand this planet off to the next generation better than we received it. All right? I, I'm, that's my heart. That's where I am. But when I look at the heavens and I consider the work of God's hands, not only do I say along with the psalmist in, in Psalm 8, what is man that you are mindful of him, but I also say this. I have a hard time being as panicked 
as some of you about this climate change thing and what human beings are able to do. I, I, I'm, I'm just being honest with you. I know that we can have an impact on this stuff, but I am, I am telling you, I have a hard time believing that the God who figured all of that out did not somehow in his plan account for a few billion human beings who are living in an industrial and technological age. I, I just have a hard time believing that. Now, you might write me off as ignorant and dangerous in that sense. And if you do, here's the good news. You and I can still be friends. <laughs> we can. We can still be friends because that just means that you're even more important than you realize because you have to account for people like me, right? So, so we need you to balance me out if you're right and I should be more panicked than I am. But I confess to you freely. I go to bed at night and I don't worry about my neighbor driving an SUV. I, I don't. And I don't mean to make light of any of that stuff. My, my reason for that is actually biblical. It, it has nothing to do with minimizing the consequences I think we can bring upon ourselves. But it has everything to do with the confidence that I have in the God who breathed all this stuff out. And who figured out exactly where to put a star that is 27 million degrees at its core. And, and he knew, if I'm going to put the next star Anywhere near, I've got to put it 20 trillion miles away. Do you know how long it would take you to get to the sun? If you were on a regular commercial airline, it wouldn't be a Boeing 737 at this point. But you understand, if you, if you were on a, a, another plane that's kind of like that, but that is allowed to leave the ground, do you know how long it would take you at 600 miles per hour to get to the sun, which is by far the closest star to us? Anybody with a guess? About 18 years. This is what I do with my time. 17 years, 17 years and nine months. I would be, I'm 42 now, I would be 60 years old by the time I reached the sun. That's crazy. That, that's crazy. And what, I, what I'm telling you is I believe God is able to keep life on this planet going even if you and I make a couple of bad decisions. If that's, if you think that's heretical, again, like I said, I, I think the grace of God is, this is the power of the cross. He's able to keep us together and we can still be friends, okay? So let's enjoy that this morning. So the first A, or I should say the A in this ache that God's producing in our heart as we look at the sky is awe. We ought to be in awe of him. C, let's look at verse seven. God is he's about to speak about the scriptures here. The word that he has inspired to guide us through this life, to make him known. God is, is not just giving us general revelation out there, but special and specific revelation about what he is like. And he begins to speak, and he wants us to have what we see here in verses 7 through 11, what I would call conviction. See, a conviction about his word, that it is inerrant, that it is trustworthy, that it is perfect, that it is pure, that it is right. Look at what he says. The law of the Lord, verse 7, is, everybody, perfect. The testimony of the Lord is sure. Verse 8, the precepts of the Lord, it, they are, they are right. Still in verse 8, the commandment of the Lord is pure. Man, I, the, the, this, the commandment of the Lord is pure. That means it is without mixture. 
It's not like this part is good and trustworthy, but you know what God said over here? That's full of error. So there's this mixture, and we have to purify it. we got to distill this thing to get the impure parts out of it so that what's left is actually a trustworthy guide for our lives. You know, this part over here is just culturally conditioned. It's, it's a consequence of the patriarchy. The commandment of the Lord is not pure. It's mixed with elements of the patriarchy. We've got to distill this thing. That is not the conviction of the believer. That is not how God instructs the child of faith to view his word. No, the precepts of the Lord are right. Rejoicing the heart, they bring joy. The commandment of the Lord is pure. And far from confusing us and leading us astray, it enlightens the eyes. You, you, you want to be a child of the enlightenment? Well, the word of the Lord produces that. It is pure. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord, man, we hate rules. You, look at me everybody, you hate rules. I've had enough conversations with some of you, you hate rules. Nobody is going to tell me what to do. I'm so bad, no one's going to tell me what to do, not even me. I'll think myself on this thing. We're rebels at heart, but the rules of the Lord are good. They They are protective, they are true and righteous altogether. We were just putting a puzzle together, a thousand-piece puzzle. It gets easier every time you do it, but a thousand-piece puzzle, especially if you put the the outside parts in a little plastic bag and stick it back in the box, right? So that's what we did. (laughs) That's what we did this last time. (laughs) It's all right. There's no, hey, there's no law, no rule against that. But, But we were putting together the outline of the puzzle and my daughter, Julia, she's eight years old. She got excited when that whole outline was complete. And she was just inspired to get back up and start trying to put little pieces on the inside of it. And, I, and you know, I, I said, you know, Julia, I said, God's rules are like that. They provide us with this safe boundary for life. When we, once, once they're there and they're in place and we see them, when we get excited about playing on the inside. Right? You wouldn't, you wouldn't think to pick up a puzzle piece and stick it outside of that, that, that border, would you? It just doesn't fit, Right? So why, why, why would you try to pick yourself up and, and, and put yourself in the wrong bed? It's just not wise. It's dangerous. It, it, we don't, it, the, the rules of the Lord are for our benefit. They're, they're, they're righteous altogether. They're true. They're trustworthy. We, we are helped and guided by the Lord. Man, let the words of my mouth be pleasing and fewer than, than I planned. So, conviction regarding the Lord's word. And I'll say one, one other word about this. A lot of times, we, we, here's what we do. If you're the, the, the guy or, the, or the, the woman who's studied all this and you say, but I, I've, I've looked at the original manuscripts. We compared doing textual criticism. We know that, that there, there are certain copious differences and different things that are extant. If you even know what the word extant is, I'm talking to you, right? You have a lot of confidence, you would say, in the original manuscripts, but ah, you know, the, the, the ones that we have today, kind of mixture of all kinds of stuff that you can trust some of it and you can't trust the others. Look, here's what I want to say to you. 
When Paul spoke to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, you remember verse 14 through 17 there? As for you, Timothy, continue in the things that you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing those from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have known the sacred writings or the scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ. Continue in those things, for all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God, and of course when they said that, that included women, so that the people of God would be complete and competent for every good work. When Paul said that to Timothy, did Timothy have the originals available to him? Talk to me now, come here, look at me. Did Timothy have the originals available to him? So what was Paul telling Timothy Timothy, to have complete confidence in? The copies. Which were actually copies of copies of copies of copies. So all you extant people have as much confidence in the Bible you have today as the one that, that in your mind you have such high regard for, but that you think is nowhere to be found. The law of the Lord is still perfect. The testimony of the Lord is still sure. The precepts of the Lord are still right. You may have a different opinion, but I promise you that is not an historically unique position. And they are still right. The commandment of the Lord is still pure. The fear of the Lord is still clean. The rules of the Lord are still true and still righteous altogether. God warns us through these. They are to be desired, not just read, not just believed, but desired even more than gold, much fine gold. More than the check that would allow you to pay off your mortgage fully. That's what he says here for modern ears. More than the check that would allow you to completely pay off your student loans, even without the help of modern day promise, promise uh, makers. Desire these things. Have a conviction about the word of God. And then move with me to verse Verse 12, the the first time you see the word error in this psalm, it is not referring to God's words. The psalmist says, after considering the skies and the scriptures, he looks at his own soul and says, who can discern his errors? That his is not God. There are no errors to be found in God's word. He didn't make any mistakes when he created everything. The errors the psalmist speaks about here in verse 12 are his own. He looks in and says, I I can't even, I mean, I, I gaze up at the stars and there's no way I can figure out what's going on up there. But how much more so, even when I look into myself, I I I might be guilty of things I'm not even aware of. I know I'm guilty of stuff I'm not aware of. I just look at your faces. (laughs) I apologize for whatever I said that I shouldn't have said. If you think that was bad, what I said, it, it if you could just have an idea of what passed through my mind that I didn't say, we would be friends again. <laughs> but, but who can know his errors? 
and you see H here, you see the humility of the psalmist. And, the, and for every Christian, every, every human being, we ought to approach God and his word with this much humility. Lord, I don't even know how I appear before you and, and what my guilt or innocence looks like. But the psalmist doesn't call into question the integrity or inerrancy of God's word. If anything, he calls into question the innocence of the one reading it. He says, Lord, declare me innocent from hidden faults. And then he goes on in verse 13, keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. You know those sins that we commit where we presume upon the grace of God? I, I've read the Bible. I've read Romans chapter 5. Wherever sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. I, I know that God speaks to us so that we would not sin. He guides us in the right way. But 1 John chapter 2 verse 1 tells me that if we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, we're told that if we just confess our sins, he is what? Faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So, so you know what? I know that God's grace will cover what I'm about to do. And we presume upon the grace of God. The psalmist says, no, Lord, keep me back from that. I am tempted often to go in that direction. Keep me back. Because listen, I'm, I'm going to tell you something. You think, and I, I would agree with you, that, that we can bring consequences upon ourselves for the various choices that we make. And even as we were talking about environmental stuff, we can have an impact on this thing that is negative and adverse. Do you think that we will bring less consequence upon ourselves if we go in the direction of presumptuous sin? Does a man scoop or heap coals, burning coals into his lap and not get burned? Do you know the context in which God said that? Go find it. it. You won't find it in your summer psalm series. But if you do like a fall proverb series, you might. I'm not saying we're going to do that. I'm not speaking predictively here. In fact, I'm... But go back and read that. God, there, there are consequences. Even if God's grace does, in one sense, cover us in a final way, there are consequences that we will have to live with for the decisions that we make. And these presumptuous sins can wreak havoc on our lives, and God steers us away from those. Don't let us go into presumptuous sins. Don't let them, Lord, have dominion over me. And the way... The way that God protects us from these sins having dominion over us, he actually tells us in Romans chapter 6, verse 14. I want you to flip there. We are getting a lot closer to you getting out of this gym. In Romans chapter 6, verse 14, God tells us that sin will no longer have dominion over us because we are no longer under law but under grace. See, this is what God does for us to protect us from these presumptuous sins and all other manner of sin. From the guilt associated and the penalty associated with those. He, he takes us from being under law and he puts us under his grace. And that happens, that happens as God introduces his grace into the world through his son, Jesus Christ. Even as the law came through Moses, grace and truth have come through Jesus Christ. And Jesus brings that grace into the world. And there is where we begin to find the power and the wisdom and the help to steer us away from these devastating and destructive sins and into the path of righteousness where God protects his children. 
That is how that begins to happen. And, and the humility, when we, when we look at how God has revealed himself, that humility begins to take us to the cross. Not where God has fixed the sun that we see in the sky, but where he has fixed his, his one and only son at one point on the cross, where he offered him up for our sins, and God, having raised him from the dead, has appointed Jesus to be the one that gives eternal life to all those who would come to him in humility. Forgiveness and eternal life. That offer is here for you today. It is not far away. You don't have to get in a plane. You don't have to get in anything to go. You just have to listen and trust that God has already sent his son all the way from heaven to that cross and has raised him from the dead and Christ is now back where he came from interceding for you and drawing you to himself. That is all you have to believe, that he will forgive your sin, that he will accept you. Not only will your words be accepted, but he will accept your entire life he will accept you as part of God's family if you come to him in faith. That offer is here for you this morning. It is here for you this morning. And so God wants us to stand in awe of him, to have the conviction regarding his scriptures we should, to approach him in humility. And E, the ache he's putting in our hearts as we look at the skies, the scriptures, and in our own souls, the E is an eagerness. An eagerness not only to know the God, through, through his word, to know the God who has done all these things. To desire his words even more than gold and much fine gold. But, but an eagerness to make God known. To shine, if we would say it that way, as the, the light that God has now made us. To shine with whatever light he has given us in a way that makes him known to other people. In fact, look back at, at what the sun does. The sun that God put in the sky in verse 5. In the heavens, God has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and like a strong man runs its course with, everybody, joy. Its rising is from one end, at least from our perspective, and it's setting all the way on the other end. There is nothing hidden from its heat. It, it runs a circuit with joy, trying to proclaim the goodness and the grace and the mercy of God to every part of the world. To every people, just like we had David come up and tell you here, this is why, this is why you go to Central Asia. This is why you go to places where people have never heard the name of Jesus. Because we want, to, we, we want this eagerness, and God produces in us an eagerness to take his name and the truth of his grace everywhere it has not been declared. And we want to see that eagerness in ourselves. First, to know God through, through Scripture in particular, and then an eagerness to make him known to others. And I'll, I'll, I'll close with this. I'll close with this. B before I, I preach, and this is custom for all of us who preach, but before we preach, we, we first just want to read the scriptures for ourselves, you know, and, and in a devotional way, just so God can speak to us and meet us at the point of our need as people. And, and as I was doing that with this passage, what the Lord really highlighted for me was this business of pitching a tent for the sun. And from our perspective, you know how it works. Nighttime comes. The sun goes away and nighttime comes. And, and really, it's only when that closest star goes away that we have occasion to see all those other lights. Now, you, you know, before electricity and all that, those other lights, the moon and the stars, as, as they either reflected the light from the sun in the case of the moon or as they gave their own light, which has finally reached us some hundred or so years later, right? 
from when that light left those stars. It, whatever the case was, those were the lights people used and depended upon to give them whatever guidance they could at nighttime. Those were the only lights available. And God appointed those lights for nighttime guidance while the sun was tucked away in its tent. And as I, as I consider these things, the, here's what I, I believe the Lord was trying to convey to me. And I'll, so I'll say what he spoke to me. Don't confuse that with scripture. But, but this is how the Lord was speaking to me at that time. He was saying, Raymond, I want you to never forget, even though my son is currently hidden from your sight, even though Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father in heaven and invisible to the human eye, I never want you to forget that he is actually much closer to you than anything else you might be tempted to trust for guidance. God puts his son through the spirit inside our hearts. Because we are children of God, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. That, that, that allows us to cry out, Abba, Father. And so when we need help and guidance, let us never forget that Jesus is nearer to us than our very selves. What great light, what great guidance, what a savior. Ladies and gentlemen, as we look to the skies, as we look into the scriptures, as we look at our own souls, let us never forget to look back at the cross and to remember through the Spirit's guidance that Jesus is much closer to us than we could ever imagine, even closer than ourselves. Lord, help us as we ponder all these things. Let them have their sanctifying effect upon us as your people. And we ask all of these things in your name, Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. You've been listening to a message by Raymond Goodlip, given at Redemption Hill Church in Richmond, Virginia. For more information on the church and to hear other messages, please visit us online at www.redemptionhill.com.